Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a, a husband, he turned to his wife one day and he said to her, he said, you know, when, when I get mad, you remain calm and collected. Uh, you never lose your cool. How do you maintain your self-control? And she thought about how she was going to answer for a minute and she said, you know, I just go and I clean the toilet. <laughs> and he said, Clean the toilet. First of all, that's usually my job in the chores of the house. And that doesn't help me. How does that help you? And she said, well, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> Don't get any ideas, okay? <laughs> Gary's laughing a lot. I, Jan will not be happy if you turn that one around. Today we're talking about the final attributes in the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about self-control. You know, the one thing that we're all deficient in that nobody wants to admit their deficiency in. Um, that's the thing that we're talking about today. And it's found in the list that we've been studying all summer long in Galatians chapter 5. I've asked you to memorize it, and so hopefully you're, you're well on the way to doing that. But let's say these again out loud as we continue to commit them to our memory and to our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All summer we've been talking about these things, these attributes that are attributes of a single fruit, right? They're a single fruit that grows in the lives of those, in the words of our reading today, who have the knowledge of God and the power of his presence in them. And like any fruit, these things need to grow. You can't earn them, you can't buy them, you can't take any shortcuts to them, even through your husband's toothbrush. That's not how it works. And I li actually like the joke because it's actually a good example, I think, of what we try to do when it comes to self-control. We look for quick and easy 
fixes, don't we? Right? We, we hold our breath. We count to ten. We squeeze a stress ball. And yet, as effective temporarily as those things might be at times, and sometimes those things are helpful, really, we have to admit that in the areas we struggle the most, there are limitations to those tools when it comes to our self-control. And the reason that we're memorizing this list, and I probably sound like a broken record to those of you who have been here for the whole series, but I'll say it again, is that I want you to remember when you're lacking one of these things, especially self-control, you have to remember this is something I cannot create on my own. This is something that can only come from the presence of God growing, manifesting its fruits in my life. And what this means for us today is that self-control is something that you and I are simply incapable of on our own. That we are incapable of this on our own. And some of you have walked in, you knew what we were going to talk about, and now that I've said you're incapable of it, you're feeling a sense of relief. If you walked in with somebody else, you're saying, see, I told you I can't help myself. See, I told you, see, the pastor said it, I'm going to quote him later, just wait, we're not done. Because here's the thing, you can help yourself, that's not true. In Christ, you have fruit. Have you heard that yet this summer? In Christ, you have fruit. Self-control can and will grow in you as you work and grow and walk in Christ. And our reading today is going to help us see how that works. And it's going to help us because it's going to give us an accurate definition of what self-control from God actually looks like. Because I think if we understand what it actually is, that maybe then we'll be better equipped to cultivate its growth inside of us. And, and oftentimes the way that's helpful to get to what something is is to talk about what something is not. And so let's talk about two things that self-control is not that we often think that it is. The first one is that self-control is not self-denial. Self-control is not self-denial. Now, if you look at the dictionary definition, I think it's the very next slide, of self-control. You look it up in the dictionary, the first word says restraint. Self-control is restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. Self-denial is denial. It's denial of one's own interests and needs. Now, you might look at that and say that the difference is subtle, right? But here's the difference. It's good to restrain your impulses at times. That is a good thing. And I can say that as the parent of a toddler... And I can say that as the parent of a preteen, that I am always trying to impart on them this lesson that they need to restrain their impulses and desires. And little do they know, as I was writing that, I thought, they're also teaching me to restrain my impulses and desires when I'm trying to teach them that too. See, we all know that our emotions and desires don't always line up with the actions that are best for us, right? with the actions that are best for the people around us. Sometimes you shouldn't say out loud what you're thinking, okay? Sometimes you shouldn't say, that's not an excuse, not a Christian excuse to say something, well, I just say it like it is. No, 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 no. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes chasing our unfettered emotions leaves us looking back on our decisions and saying, why did I do that? 
Why did I say that? Why did I eat that? Why did I buy that? We all know this, don't we? Restraint is a good thing. Restraint is a good thing. But here, here's what's not good. It is never good to deny your interests and needs. It's never good to deny your interests and needs. And I don't want to say that, that to suggest that, that our needs are always immediately met, right? Isn't patience part of the fruit of the Spirit too? Right? right? That's, that's part of the Spirit. But it is not healthy to deny that those things exist. And the thing about self-control is if you think about, just think about for, for a minute, a, a place in your life where you lack self-control. Chances are, if you dig beneath the surface a little bit, what you will find is that the place where you're lacking self-control is a place that you have a legitimate need that you're being drawn to illegitimate places to fulfill. That you have a legitimate need that you're being drawn to illegitimate places to fulfill. If you look at infidelity, for example, it can often be traced back to deeper, unfulfilled emotional needs. Those who struggle with eating unhealthy food realize that, that being hungry isn't sinful. You need food in order to, to live. It's, it's what you're reaching for that's hurting you, that's hurting your body. And, and understand that now that we recognize that there's a legitimate need underneath these things, that doesn't somehow excuse the things that we choose to do that hurt ourselves and others. It doesn't excuse the cheating. It doesn't excuse the eating poorly because those actions actually make everything worse. They don't meet the legitimate need that's inside of us in the first place. But to deny the existence of that need, what happens is you end up finding that you lose your total ability to control the impulses that that need is, is, is producing inside of you. That's why self-denial is not the same thing as self-control. The more self-denial you have, the less self-control you'll have, and it's why you'll end up doing the things that you don't want to do anyway. Now, now I do have to say this, though. As I, was, as I was studying this this week, I thought, is this heresy? Because Jesus also said in, in um, Luke chapter 9, he said this. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must, say it with me, deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this, am I being um, heretical right now? Because Jesus himself said that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. It's not heretical, and here's why. Because in order to do what Jesus is calling us to do, you need to be aware of what it is in your life that you're lying down. You need to know what it is that you're denying in order to take up your cross. You need to know that you are laying down your brokenness in your life. You need to know what those unmet needs are so that you can pick up the greater thing, which is the cross. Taking up your cross is not sacrificing things that you're not even aware of you sacrificing. Look at uh, John chapter 10. Jesus said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to have it taken up again, only to take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. When Jesus took up his own cross, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Nobody did that to him Nobody did that to him without his knowledge and his acceptance and his stepping into this. He wasn't hanging on the cross and wondering, how did I get up here? How did this happen? When did this come? No, he laid down his life intentionally that he might pick it up again. And likewise, God's invitation for us is that we might lay our lives down that we might nail to the cross our own unhealthy desires, those things that we cannot control, those things that are holding us bondage, those legitimate needs that we are searching for illegitimate places to meet, that we might find the self-control that we need in order to live the resurrected life that Jesus has earned for you and me when he died on the cross in the first place. Theologian uh, John Calvin, who lived around the same time as Martin Luther, he wrote this. He said, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge, say it with me, of ourselves. Let me read this again. This is good. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And this actually draws us right into the point that we find made in our reading today. Let's look again at 2 Peter verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and through Jesus our Lord. The disciple Peter begins his letter here connecting grace and peace with the source of grace and peace, which is the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus. But if you look closely at the next verse, what you'll see is that there's a second thing that we're going to learn self-control is not, and that is self-control is not knowledge alone. It's not knowledge alone. Look at verse 3. It says this. His, this is God's, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. What this means is that when it comes to self-control, knowledge is important, right? Knowledge comes from God. But Peter says if you want to actually live out that knowledge, if you want to live the godly life that you are being offered through Jesus, it's more than just knowledge. You're also going to need divine power. It's not that the knowledge isn't important, but the power helps us to do something productive with what we already know and believe. And we can understand this on a non-spiritual level. Just think about your diet, okay? Like, like some of us have no problem eating things, only things that are good for our bodies, but the other 99% of us, <laughs> when we think of self-control, we think about a diet, right? And we think about food, and we think about the things that we eat and we drink, and we think about the things that make us unhealthy and weak. Now, self-denial would be one way of dealing with that issue, right? Just pretend like it doesn't exist. Don't go to the doctor. Don't look at the labels on anything before you eat it. Just don't worry about it. But even if you don't do that, because you know you're not supposed to do that, right? 
even if you have the knowledge of what you are and aren't supposed to eat and do, right? right? Even if you know that, how many times do you end up doing the thing that you don't want to do anyway? How many times do you end up reaching for that extra donut or that extra slice of pizza or that third or fourth drink and you say to yourself, I know I shouldn't, right? I know I shouldn't. You even say it to other people, right? I know I shouldn't, right? And they're like, yeah, I know I shouldn't too. And they do the same thing that you do. And I've got to repent about something. I've shared this before in, in high school. My favorite job in high school was selling ice cream. Uh, I sold ice cream in Lake Geneva, and um, it was a place that mostly just tourists came to, so the people that would come in, they were always on vacation, and we sold, I don't know, like 40 different flavors, which makes it really hard to decide which one you're going to pick, and so people would stand on the other side of the counter, and they'd be looking at the ice cream, and you know, I'm a people person, so I'd ask them where they're from, and they'd tell me about this stuff, and I would always say to them, maybe trying to decide which flavor to pick, I'd say, you know, you're on vacation, just get both, <laughs> you know, or you pick a three, you know, I could do, th- I could fit three scoops on a waffle cone, I'll show you, right, like, you're only on, you're on vacation, right, you only live once, right, you ever heard that before? I used to say that before it was cool, when people were buying ice cream. It's culturally acceptable to know that you're not supposed to do something and then go do it anyway, isn't it? Right? It's culturally acceptable to do that. And, and we don't have time to get into that this morning, but, but this is a significant heresy, actually, that Peter is speaking against in our reading today. It's this idea that was being taught in the first-generation church that because Jesus has forgiven us, because Jesus has redeemed us, that somehow now you don't have to practice self-control anymore. That you don't have to practice self-control, just do whatever you want. Well, why is that way of thinking problematic? Well, because sure, you only live once, but your one life will be significantly shorter if you always take the extra scoop of ice cream, won't it? It will be significantly shorter. It will also be significantly shorter if you use your spouse's toothbrush to clean the toilet, Gary. So I just want to refer back to that, make sure you didn't get any ideas. Jesus will forgive you for these things, right? But that doesn't mean that they're not going to impact your life. Jesus will forgive you, but your lack of self-control in pornography will continually impact your marriage. Your inability to stop at one or two drinks will impact your relationship with your children, your relationship with your job. And this is why Peter was so serious about it in this letter. This is why this kind of thinking, all jokes aside, that it's okay, Jesus has forgiven us, so now we can do whatever we want. That's why this kind of thinking is is dangerous. Because Jesus didn't just come to give us an admission ticket to heaven. That's not the only thing he came to do. But he came to give us an abundant life starting right now. And the abundant life that Jesus wants you and me to have, that he welcomes us into, it requires self-control. Your relationships will be better with self-control. 
Your health is better with self-control. And self-control is only possible when you stop denying your interests and needs. When you know what those things are, but you don't just know them, you bring them before the Lord that you might be able to receive his power that he might fulfill you in the way he chooses to. If you're at all familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous, it's the 12-step recovery program for those who are overcoming addiction. I want to show, with you, show you just the first three steps in the 12-step process. Step one says, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And step three says that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Friends, we all should go to AA. Every single one of us. Because the truth is the founders of AA did not make this stuff up. God made this up. God made this up. This is the promise that isn't just for those of us who struggle with self-control and addiction, but it's for all of us. All of us. Power has a name. His name is Jesus. Power has a name. His name is Jesus. And it's found at the cross where you can find grace and peace to overcome what on your own and on my own we are powerless to overcome. Look at verse 4. Peter says, through these things, knowledge and power, knowledge and power, not one or the other, but both, through these things, God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, I said at the beginning that Alone, you and I are powerless over self-control. We're powerless to have self-control. But in Christ, we have everything we need. We have everything that we need. And because we now know that this is possible, Peter then gives us a pathway to see it happen in our lives. Look at verse 5. He says, For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. This is maybe my favorite verse this time around reading this. Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Do you know what that means? That means that that God is not expecting you to have it all figured out today. That God is not expecting you to have all of this perfect today. The idea is that it is of increasing measure that you would have by the grace and the power of God more control, more self-control when you walk out the doors of the church this morning than you did yesterday. And of increasing measure, that the more that you walk with Jesus, that the more and more self-control that you will find in your life. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you 
Not from, from being imperfect, but they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, whoever blows this off and doesn't worry about it, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting, if you have your own Bible, circle that, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. I think these verses are so, there's a whole other sermon in this, and I, I don't have time to go into it, but just, just read that last verse. Whoever does not do this is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins. The word forgetting is grace. Because when we struggle with self-control and we make mistakes, what's the first thing we do? We think to ourselves, God doesn't love me. I'm not forgiven. Somehow I've crossed the line and now I am no longer seen in the eyes of God as the beloved child who is invited into the abundant life that I was before because I was lacking in self-control. That's not what this says. Self-control has nothing. If you struggle with self-control, listen very clearly. Self-control has nothing to do with earning God's love. It has nothing to do with earning God's redemption, forgiveness, or freedom. Self-control is allowing God's presence to remind you that you were already loved, that you were already redeemed, that you were already forgiven, that you were already free. And by being reminded of that, by the power and the presence of God in you, what you will find is you will find a power that will allow you to resist in increasing measure the very things that are drawing you back into bondage again. Look at verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Self-control is not earning your salvation. You are already loved by God. You are already redeemed. You are already welcomed in apart and separate from anything you can or will or ever will do. What is self-control? Here's the definition. It's a working definition based on what we've learned today. Self-control is allowing God's power, provision, protection, and promises to restrain our actions as we patiently wait for him to meet our every need. Let me say that again. Self-control is allowing God's power See, I don't trust God's power when I take control into my own hands. It's allowing God's provision knowing that he is going to, in a healthy way, meet my every needs. It is trusting in God's protection, in God's promises, so that I might restrain my actions as I patiently wait for him to meet my every single need. And so to conclude, here's, here's what I want to do. Instead of sharing three simple steps to self-control, because honestly, I don't have them, you do let me know after the service I'll incorporate it in my 10 o'clock but you probably don't so instead of doing that here's what I'd rather do I'd like to share with you a prayer tool 
And it's a tool that you can use to invite God's power into your life regularly. And if you do this regularly over time, what you will see is that the Spirit of God will do what only the Spirit of God can do, and that is to develop self-control in you. Now, in the 1500s, Ignatius of Loyola, those of you who come from a Roman Catholic background, that name rings a bell. Um, Ignatius of Loyola popularized a prayer. And this prayer is known as the examine prayer. It's a very simple prayer. Um, if you're on our email list, I'll actually send this out. I'll send some links out to this. There's a video um, that can guide you through it, and there's a, a tool that you can just read through as well. Um, but I want to walk you through it right now. I actually want to pray it with you. And this has been transformational for me. And so that's why I'm sharing this with you. It's, it's not a prayer to pray when you're in the heat of the moment. It's not a prayer that you pray when you are in immediate need for self-control. In those moments, do the things that probably come natural to you. Call a friend. Get out of the environment that's tempting you, right? Pray, stop, and close your eyes and say, give me strength to get out of this situation. That's not what this prayer is. What this prayer is, is, is it's a prayer that you can pray regularly every day. It's, in, it's designed to pray at night or in the morning and look back at the last day and invite God to work in your life. Look back at the places that you've seen him working in your life and ask him for his power in the days to come. And so there's, there's four simple steps. On, on the next slide, you'll see the prayer of examine. The first one is replay. And it's, it's praying, just walking through your day and, and, and recalling each significant moment in your day, how you felt the moments that you had joy, the moments that you felt sadness, the moments you were embarrassed, the moments you lost self-control, where you saw God's presence. The second one is rejoice. Thank God for his faithfulness in the places where you saw his grace, big and small. The third one is to repent. At that time, you'll, you'll, you'll definitely have come to places where you know that you've fallen short of God's glory and goodness in your life. And so you take an opportunity right there to repent of those things and ask God to forgive you and help you to change. And then the fourth step is reboots. It's to decide to live in and with and for Jesus in the days to come, asking for his power, knowing that that's what you'll need in order to live the abundant life that he's called you to live. And so um, what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to ask Jennifer to just begin playing underneath. And I'd like you to just close your eyes. And I'm going to read some passages of scripture and some words that that Fuller Seminary in California has put together as a way to guide through this, this particular prayer. But right now, just, just close your eyes and stop. Take a deep breath. Know that God is present in this place. As the Spirit of God calms your thoughts in your mind, remember that we know that God has been with us since the very beginning of our day. And so, God, we pray through your Holy Spirit, help us to look back at the last 
24 hours, maybe the last week, maybe just this morning. Help us to notice that you have been with us. God, help us to remember your words in Psalm 139 where the psalmist says, where can I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I go to escape your presence? If I were to go up to heaven, you would be there. If I went to go to the grave, you would be there too. Spirit, as we come before you and we take inventory of this past day and this past week, we remember that every moment is a gift from you. God, would you help me to be thankful for even the small things, a patch of blue sky, music that I was able to listen to, a smile from a stranger. God, would you allow gratitude to draw me into the fullness of the abundant life that you've given me? What am I thankful for today? first two verses of Psalm 9 declare, I will thank you, Lord, with all my heart. I will talk about all of your wonderful acts. I will celebrate and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name most high. As I look back at the last day, who did I spend my time with? Where did I go? What did I do? Even the ordinary things. I remember the sights and the sounds and the smells and the conversations and the thoughts and the feelings that I experienced. What brought life to my life? What excited me? What discouraged me? Would you bring my attention to those moments so that I might offer them to you, God? Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know where I sit and when I stand. Even from far away, you, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my As we continue to consider this past day, God, we reflect honestly on the moments that we felt out of tune with you. Was there something that I said, an opportunity that I missed, a place where I lacked self-control, a place that I wish I had acted differently? Do I need to ask for forgiveness from you? Do I need to make things right with somebody else? Was I angry? 
God, I look at those shortcomings and the brokenness in my, my own world, in my own life. I look at those things now and I bring them before you. And I pray that you would heal them. The psalmist writes in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. As I end my day, as I end this prayer and look to the rest of this day and to tomorrow and the week to come, what are the things that I'm looking forward to? What are the things that are concerning me, stressing me out, worrying me, causing me anxiety? God, would you help me in those moments in the future? Would you open my eyes and my ears and my heart that I might see where your hands are at work? Help me to remember as I have looked back and seen your presence in the days and moments that have led up to this moment in this prayer. Help me to remember that you will again be present with me in all things in the future, large and small, guiding me toward your purposes and fullness in life. As I conclude this prayer of examine, I I pray, God, that through your spirit you would remind me of your promises found in Psalm 121. I pray with the psalmist, I raise my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will protect you on your journeys, whether going or coming from now until forever.